Hi, everybody. Welcome to church. My name is Ashley Matthews. I'm the associate lead pastor here at Trinity. We're really glad to have you with us. If you have Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 5. As is our habit here at Trinity, we'll read, see um, what the Bible has to say to us, and then we'll pray and reflect together. This is Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 to 9. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Let us go a three days journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God, or he will fall upon us with pestilence or sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the, the people away from their work? Get to your labors. Pharaoh continued, now they are more numerous than the people of the land, and yet you want them to stop working. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people, as well as their supervisors, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But you shall require of them the same quantity of bricks as they made previously. Do not diminish it, for they are lazy. That is why they cry, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them. Then they will labor at it and pay no attention to deceptive words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you, God, now for the peace of your presence to be with us. Thank you, God, for the gift of your word. Thank you, God, for the Bible, for the life and story of Moses, the people of Israel. We ask you now, God, that you would help us to hear you, Lord, at work in ancient words, in an ancient story. Would you draw us, Lord, close to the words of the Bible, to you, so that we can hear what you're saying to us now? Lay hands of peace on us, Lord. We bless you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for the last uh, several weeks, we've been going through this uh, story of the Exodus in the season of Lent as a way to remember that actually Lent, really and truly most ultimately, is about God's desire to set us free. The same God who was at work in the story of the Exodus, setting the people of Israel free, is the same God who is now at work in our lives, through the season of Lent even, setting us free, encouraging us to be free from sin, from enslavement to our appetites, from all the things that keep us smaller in the spirit than we should be. God's desire is that we would be people who are free in the way that Jesus was free, free to love as he loved, free to work as he worked, free to have the kind of peace that he had. So in this really important scene in Exodus chapter 5 that we just read, this is the moment when Moses finally goes before Pharaoh. He knows that he's going to have to do this. Back, uh, we looked last week at the moment when God meets Moses, he calls him to be uh, Israel's liberator, defender, to go and advocate for them before Pharaoh. He doesn't want to do this, but uh, after a few pep talks from God, he's finally decided, all right, I'm going to go for it, and he does. He goes before Pharaoh and says to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people People go. And you would hope that um, for all this work that no doubt Moses has had to do, that um, as a result of his faithfulness, that things would go really, really well. And yet, that's not at all what happens. 
you know, Moses gets up the courage to say, you know, let my people go. And Pharaoh basically, in short, says, no, I'm not going to let them go. And not only am I not going to let them go, but I'm actually going to now increase their work, make it harder for them. So they have more work to do, and the work that they were doing, I'm going to make now even harder. It's almost like a comic act of spitefulness. Pharaoh chooses um, now to command the taskmasters to withhold the straw that the Israelites have been using uh, to make their bricks with. So now that the work that they were doing before is harder and they have uh, more of it to do. So in short, things did not go well by any standard. In fact, it would appear that they became a lot worse. I also just wanna say here as a kind of aside, it's important for us, I think, to call to mind the kind of slavery that Israel was experiencing in Egypt. It was a little bit different from the slavery that we imagine um, probably many of us in terms of one person owning another person. What Israel was experiencing was as a people, they were owned by the empire of Egypt and therefore they were made, tasked to do these massive building projects like pyramids and palaces. And so making bricks was their work. That was the slavery. They were tasked to do the work of building the empire, quite literally, and an important point to keep in mind a little bit later on. So there are basically three things that I wanna highlight uh, for us in this really important scene in the story of the Exodus. And this is the first one. Sometimes faithfulness looks like failure. Uh, Moses did everything right. He did exactly what God told him to. uh, And not only did it not seem to help, but it actually um, clearly seemed to make things a lot worse. And y'all, that's just the way that it, it works sometimes in our own lives. We'll do exactly the thing that we were supposed to do, exactly what we believed, um, would even say we know that God was asking us to do. And not only does it not seem to work or go well, sometimes it looks like the opposite is happening. Not only do we not win, but it actually looks like maybe we, we failed. And I wonder if something I've been thinking about this week, if it isn't true, that certainly seemed to be the case in Moses' life, if that sometimes things just actually do in fact need to get worse before they get better. Uh, In May of last year, Josh, my husband, broke his collarbone, uh, which is not a a, a crisis or a tragedy necessarily in terms of, um, I guess, injuries, but it was a pretty bad break. And uh, he was was riding a bike with, with our toddler on the back and I remember going to the scene of the accident and, you know, he was clearly <laughs> broken and it, it hurt, hurting, but he was ultimately okay. A couple of days went by. It was definitely broken. Um, we went to the ER. They told us he would have to have surgery, uh, but he was, he was like, okay. It was hurting, but not so bad. And then we did the surgery. And the surgery, of course, is supposed to help. That's why you have surgeries. But I remember the day after the surgery, watching him sort of writhe in agony and having the thought, oh, this doesn't look like helping, you know? It, it looked like and seemed to for a few days um, as if the surgery actually made things a lot worse, uh, not better. And I was thinking about that time in, in our life um, in light of this passage, in light of what's happening to Moses, because the reality is, of course, for the surgery and even in Josh's life, the only way for him to be made uh, whole was to go through this really sort of painful moment to be put back together. Sometimes the only way um, to reset a bone is to break it first. And sometimes I think um, you have to fail to move forward. And I actually think that this, if we let that truth set in, sink into our lives, it sort of changes the way that we think about failure. 
Because that's a really great question. Like, did Moses fail? Could you consider or count Moses' experience here before Pharaoh's failure, even if it felt that way to him? Well, it probably depends on your vantage point. It may have looked like a failure in chapter 5, but it certainly didn't look like one, won't look like one in chapter 15 when the people of Israel are coming out of Egypt. They're in the hills of Sinai singing and dancing and declaring God's victory after and on the other side of the Exodus. I think that in my own life, if I'm able to, like, you know, everything's clear in hindsight, but the reality is in my own life, there are times when God will build through and use things that feel like, seemed like successes. He'll build with those things. That's true, that happens. But it's also true that God will, at other times, choose to build, to work through things that feel like, look like even, failures. And it all belongs to him, ultimately. So I think the call for us, like it was for Moses, is to be faithful and to choose to just release the outcomes. Easy to say and harder to do, I know. Here's the second thing that uh, stood out to me as I was reflecting on this story. Sort of second point. God provides for what he requires. When Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go, the God of Israel requires you, commands you, let my people go. Pharaoh says in response to Moses, who is the Lord that I should heed him? I do not know him and I will not let them go. The way that it's written in the text, it's supposed to sound um, maybe even as defiant or more defiant than it sounds in English. You're supposed to sort of shudder to hear him say it. These are fighting words. Pharaoh has placed himself, positioned himself in um, obvious and intentional defiance against God. And this is really important to bear in mind because of the fact that Pharaoh himself was considered to be also a god, to be divine. Egyptians Egyptians considered him to be a part of the pantheon of of gods to whom uh, they would be expected to worship. And so when we're thinking about this story, it really is most true to think about it in terms of a kind of spiritual battle. This isn't ultimately a story about Egyptians versus Israelites or Moses against Pharaoh but really against a false God and a true God, against God with a capital G, false God with a lowercase g, and and the God with a capital G. This is the story of empire versus the story of Eden. We've been talking a lot about this in the Exodus study as we've been going through it, but um, I think it's important to bear in mind with the point that we're making now is just this, that um, God created Israel to be the people through whom God would work to build for the world. And that's really interesting uh, to me in light of where they find themselves now. Israel is also working now, building for a kingdom, but it's a distorted version of the thing that they were meant to do, that God had actually required of them, was to be a people who he could build through, uh, build his kingdom through. And now what they're doing is almost um, like a distorted version of the thing that they were really meant to do. And here's why I think this is really important for us. Because the truth is that for us now, we're meant to be people through whom God is building a better world, his kingdom. That's what God intends for us. It's supposed to be that through the works of our hands, our love, our generosity, our work of justice, that God builds his kingdom. We know that. And we're meant to do this as free people 
people who have chosen freely to follow Jesus and bear the work of his spirit in our lives. But we have an enemy in the same way that Israel had an enemy. Who would like to take this very true story and distort it, bend it to his own purposes so that what we end up doing is building for an empire. That's the word that we're going to use and have been using throughout the study. It's the word that the Bible uses to talk about um, those things that we build that are contrary to the plans of God or the purposes of God. God builds Eden. Uh, we build empires. And when we build empires, the facts are that we inevitably become a slave to that empire. We end up doing all the work that we're meant to do, but doing it to serve the interests of a vision that is foreign to God, opposed to God, other than what he would have us to do. So that the fruits of that work, the things that we're working for and with, are contrary to what he would imagine for us. So if you think about it this way, things like money and power and praise of self. Those are the literal bricks, the things that we need to build empire. And we strive for them, we want them. It's the reward of belonging to empires to get more money, to get more power, to get more praise. We also need those things in order to build it. And that the way that that works, the way that empires work, is that the more that you have of those things, the higher you can stack them, the more successful you are. You're supposed to be winning at that point. But there's a catch. And here's the catch, which is that we're ultimately, I think many of us, being tasked or feeling the burden to make bricks without straw, meaning we don't have what we need in order to build really well with our lives. A lot of us feel like we're working really hard, striving, doing a lot, but not building very well. Almost like we just don't have what we need to really get there. And here's what I mean. I think, for example, the reality is, the Bible tells us over and over, we need rest to work well. But the way that it works in the world too many times is that the more successful I am, the more ahead I get, the less rest I have, the more stressed out and anxious I become. It's like the thing I need in order to do what I'm supposed to do is withheld from me. And I actually think that we have an enemy who takes a great amount of joy or delights really in that fact. We don't just need rest to work well or to build well. I also think it's true that we need love to work well and build well. In order for me to make something that really matters, that's actually helpful and useful, I need to love not only the thing, but the people for whom I'm making it. And the way that it works so much in the world, however, is that the more work I do, the more successful I become. It's like the more obsessed with myself I also become. Too many of us become increasingly focused on our own ambitions, our own aspirations, and so our work reflects a commitment to self more than a love of other people, our neighbors, the people around us. So we need things, the straw of rest and love in order to build well. And yet in the world around us, the lifestyles that so many of us lead, those are the very things that are being withheld from us. And yet, contrarily, God always provides for what he requires. So what we're meant to do is work. That is true. There is such a thing as good work, good labor, and we're meant to do it. 
but we're meant to do it with what God has provided for us. What we need to do the kind of work he's asking for are the things like his spirit, Sabbath, the unconditional love of Jesus. And that's exactly what God has provided for us. He gives us more of his spirit. He gives us more rest. He gives us more of the love of Jesus so that we can do the kind of work that we've been called to do. But many of us, are feeling deprived of those things because the lifestyles that we're living, it's like we can't get to them, we can't access them. They've been withheld from us. So I think there's a real invitation in this to be reflective about the kind of building, the kind of working that we're doing. Is it really the kind of work or the kind of building that God has required of us? Or maybe the burden we feel is coming from somewhere else. Thirdly and lastly, we cannot worship without rest. As we were saying before, we cannot build without rest. Moses tells Pharaoh that God has commanded um, he and Aaron to take Israel on this uh, pilgrimage into the wilderness so that they can uh, worship. The text says, uh, have a festival. What he means is, is worship. And Pharaoh says in verse five in response, oh, you want them to stop working? Uh, we're meant to hear the sort of like um, the bite of the question. Like this is ridiculous. It's outrageous that you would even suggest such a thing. And there's a really uh, important sort of clue hidden in the Hebrew language. The, the verb for stop, for stop working, is the same root um, is shared with the word Sabbath. So both stop and Sabbath share the same root. And throughout this whole story, there are these little clues hidden within the text that are meant to connect bigger ideas, point us towards something. And I think this is one of those moments where we're meant to see a kind of connection. There's a comparison being made. The God of Israel commands um, Israel, will command Israel when they get to Sinai to stop, literally to, to stop so that they might Sabbath and observe the Sabbath. And that's because when God created the entire universe, God was able to find time uh, to stop, to rest, in order to practice what will become uh, the Sabbath. Conversely, however, Pharaoh commands them to only work harder, let heavier work uh, be laid on them. They, They can't stop working, that's ridiculous. They need to work more and more and more. It's the last verse that we read in verse nine that really gets me. He says they're lazy, that's why they wanna stop. So let's make them work harder. And then he goes on to say, so that they will have no time for or pay no attention to deceptive words. And what are those deceptive words? The thing that Pharaoh's really afraid that Israel will hear. Well, it's of course that he doesn't own them, that they belong to God, that God in fact loves them and created them to be free so that they might rest and worship as a result of that rest. I've been thinking about this a lot. I wonder if one of the reasons that so many of us are struggling to feel connected to God in a time like this is because we're, there's so much pressure that we feel to keep going, to do more, to strive. That's just true of the culture that we live in. And so, yes, we feel stressed out. Yes, we feel anxious. But it also deeply impacts our ability to worship and connect with God. There's something about rest that does something like to our souls, to our minds, that helps us see and connect with God in the way that we're meant to. 
in Genesis, when God finishes his work, the text tells us, and then rests, where we get the Sabbath from. Jews have always believed that when the text says God finished his work, that God didn't just cease, he didn't just stop. What God did was actually create rest, something they call a manuach. It's a kind of, of rest, tranquility, peace. And that that is, that tranquility, that rest is the thing we need to really worship God and be connected to him. The reason I'm saying all of this is because I believe that for many of us who feel deeply confused about how we connect with God, what does that look like? I don't know that it gets much more complicated than you choosing to stop and rest. To not just stop and rest, but to do it so that you could delight in the things God has made and given to you, who he is, things that he has created that are good. That's really what the Sabbath is all about. I think Sabbath is a kind of resistance act. It's a way of saying, I am not this. I'm not going to build for empire. I'm not going to build for the world. I'm made to build for the kingdom of heaven, and that means I have to worship. I have to rest. I'm going to read you these verses in closing, and then we'll look at a few questions together. This is from Psalm 127, and I'm just going to read it over you. I would ask you to just maybe close your eyes. Hear the word of the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor build in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the guard keeps watch in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Jesus, I believe, has called all of us, is calling all of us in this season, maybe some of us in particular, to fast from a kind of addiction to work and striving so that we can be people who rest and out of that rest really know and love and worship the Lord who made us. Amen. Here are three questions for you to sit with, either to discuss with your group or to reflect on your own. Number one, uh, where do you feel like you're failing right now? Maybe ask the Lord how he sees this so-called failure in your life. Number two, what do you feel like is being required of you in this season? What do you not have that you need? And number three, what do you need to stop and fast so that you can have more rest in your life? What do you need to stop so that you can rest? Amen. I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer together before we close, and some of you will be able to celebrate communion together. We hope to see all of you uh, very soon. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory 
forever and ever. Amen. Amen.